Hey, it's Ben. I'd like to thank Ren for coming on and talking about their introduction to the system and some of the things that they have learned. I do also want to give a thanks to our latest Patreon backer, a Lynx Observator. And you can be like them at patreon.com slash the Hydean way. If you are finding yourself not able to, you can help us out by sharing and letting people know about the show on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, in person, you know, many different places. Even on Discord servers. Discord servers work too. Thank you, and now on to the show. I look to see a new person at the foot of it. Oh, hello. I'm glad I'm not too late. Will we be able to get all these action figures to Slayhe run in time? Juggling a small crate, I respond, slightly out of breath. Yes, but only if we go as quickly as possible. You know how much Thak was pining after the special edition of the K-set. Let's go. Welcome to Opposable Tale from the Hydean Way. I'm your host, Ben Yendel, with special guest... Ren. But not Kylo Ren. Regular flavor. This week on Tales, we have a very special guest, Ren, from Heroes of the Hydean Way and many other places. Like I know you've got your own Twitch channel, which has shows on it, and you've also been part of so many other things. It's been kind of fun following you along. The specialness is highly debatable. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, I, well, I mean, I kind of fell into the Twitch thing just because I had been on a number of friends' Twitch channels for the past couple of years at this point. Honestly, being on Twitch is how I ended up finding all of you, because I the first thing I was ever on was a Twitch thing with Christine, so. Oh, okay. I, wow. Then amazingly lucky, I'd say. At least we are. We were in a Tales from the Loop game, and our characters pretty instantly gelled really, really well. And, yeah, so we realized we could RP together pretty Effectively. Christine's great. <laughs> you coming on to Heroes has been a blast. Taking the amount that you dive so deep into the role-playing is really fun. At least from a GM standpoint, like from my end of the, the whole shenanigans. Well, when I came in, I of course had a couple of episodes of Trouble Brewing to listen to. And hearing how hard everyone else goes in on it. You you have to you have to bring it. I just listened to that first episode with Billy talking about the cookies and all the accents, and I was just I'm very excited, but also very intimidated. I need to bring my game. Do I have a game? Better make one. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, <laughs> there's also a bit of a reflection of that because I've definitely felt well. Okay, with all how many heroes? Six, seven now. Seven. Uh, I've had to raise my game for different aspects. And with you, it's definitely been the how deep the role-playing goes because you'll latch on to things and really expand on them in ways that I hadn't seen any of the others go for, which is wonderful. Well, I feel like that's probably just what happens when you accidentally bring a LARPer into your podcast. Yeah, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I'm used to running around the woods for 36 hours, just completely like living, eating, breathing, sleeping as a character. 
And it sort of becomes second nature just to sort of figure out just all the little silly things about how your character is. Like I have a headcanon for, you know, what kind of pajamas Vistrano has and what his morning routine is and that sort of thing. Wow. <laughs> that well, makes me sound like, really dorky right now. <laughs> well, not near as dorky as some of the people. If, like you put into thought the practical end of things, like what sort of PJs a character has is actually amazingly practical as opposed to this is the three page long story as to why they're finally on the ship in this case. And I'm being generous at the three page. Which is funny because mine's not even three pages. It's one page and they're bullet points. <laughs> Me as a GM, I listen and like, wow, that's the ideal. Because bullet points are so easy to expand upon. Yeah. Well, and I also had the, the you know, and I'm doing air quotes here. I hope you can hear them. <laughs> uh, I had the Vistrano logs, which I kept after most of the episodes where I kind of pretended as if Vistrano was then going into his room and writing his thoughts down, which would kind of help me figure out more about how he viewed the whole situation being on the ship and just how to figure out how to play him better. That's kind of cool. I know that Coming on Heroes was your first exposure to the FFG system, the narrative dice, which... Yes, it was. <laughs> as much as I love the FFG system, I truly, truly do, I also... It is the most intimidating thing I can think of. So how was it for you at the start? Well, I think I was a little fortunate in having had slight training wheels to the system in that I had, as I, as I just said, Christine and I had played a Tales from the Loop game together. And that is also, and it's very, very rules light, but it's very narrative focused. So you, you succeed or you fail and you have to sort of narrate out that. There's no, you know, advantage or despair or, or any of that stuff. But so yeah, training, training wheels in terms of how to narrate whether or not you have succeeded or failed at a certain thing. It still was a little bit like diving in without any sort of flotation device but maybe not as bad as it could have been had I never, ever tried to do any sort of narrative TTRPG at all. What sort of background do you have for role-playing before coming to Heroes? Because well, you, you were saying about Tales from the Loop and Little Busters, if I remember the name. It the was, yeah. Right. So there was Little Busters, but you're, uh, you also were mentioning LARPing. Uh, what other sorts of role-playing experience do you have? Because that obviously creates your own view on role-playing. Oof. All right, well, if we go all the way back to the days of yore, <laughs> we've got... Uh, I can't remember if I was at 11 or 12, but little 11 or 12 in that, in that tween region, uh, me went to a yard sale and discovered... Dungeons and Dragons in a in a box with my younger brothers. And being the, the oldest child, I naturally was the dungeon master. <laughs> I, I I only played with them for a very long time. When I got to high school I tried to play with people my own age, but as a femme coded person, it wasn't the nicest land for me at the time. And yeah, so I casually, I suppose, played Dungeons and Dragons for a long time. And then took a pretty sizable TTRPG break for a while when I moved to Boston and discovered LARPing. Okay. Which 
there's no consistency with how advanced or simple the rules are for LARPing. It really depends on the LARP. But a lot of the ones that I played were considered fairly rules heavy, like hundred and something page plus rule book of calls you had to remember when you're out on the field and how many you have to memorize how many hit points you have and then do all the math inside your head as you get hit how many points you have left that sort of thing before you have to you know actually fall over pretend to be dead oh my yeah then i hopped back into ttrpgs with tales from the loop and then eventually started playing fifth edition D D again mm-hmm. around the time that i started with you all actually so okay I've I've dabbled in a number of other systems since then. I tried out, you know, Starfinder and Call of Cthulhu and looking at my bookshelf right now. <laughs> Dungeon <laughs> World, Burning Wheel. I can't see anything else from here. Uh, but yeah. Good systems. I'm currently right now, I have the Mouse Guard rulebook at my feet, which I'm going to get back to after this. <laughs> <laughs> I still got to reread my copy of Mouse Guard. It's one of the two on my plate that I really want to get back to. Yeah, it looks really cute so far. I, you know, I'm a sucker for cute animals, so. <laughs> the stories that keep on getting told to me from people in their mouse guard campaigns just make me really want to play or, no, really want to play. I do not understand those stories. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to experience one. I am I'm definitely on kind of a kick right now of wanting to, to try running a whole bunch of different systems. And I'm going to be doing some one shots on my, my Twitch channel over the next, you know, sort of period of quarantine. So that's really cool. But I, I also actually of the over the past couple of weeks have been poking at sort of one page or very, very short one shot type things that you can just throw yourself into. I shared with you the one called i can't say it on this stream actually uh let's just replace (laughs) a different word with the word bad it's called bad ensigns Uh, and you just play bumbling ensigns on a star trek ship that looks very exciting to me yeah that's for one shots i you know yeah just to get together with friends and be absurd for a couple hours that's the beauty of one shots (laughs) just enough system to hold it together getting together and just having fun like, that's that's one-shots. It's also what I love about Fiasco. Which I still haven't played. That is something that will have to be rectified. Yeah, you've all talked about it so many times, and it just kept not happening, or happening when I wasn't available or something like that. I found it to be a great icebreaker, like one-shots, just on account of everything is created out of whole cloth. It's a very good improvisational game. Hmm. Where... The characters aren't really set until you sit down, create a few things, create a few relationships between people, and it turns into something really fun. It's just looking at it, there's just enough structure there to actually run something. It tends towards like Coen Brothers style adventures or John Hughes. Okay. Actually, that's a good point. When when I first got on, we had what we had, uh, like, Two episodes where we introed Vestrano and then we hopped immediately into the the Kavranza one shot adventure. Oh, right. Which I don't think was the release order, but it was definitely the recording order. So I, I, yeah, I had the one session with you all where I met you and I was very awkward and very anxious. And then it was like, all right, Ren, now your character has to pretend to be a different character. Let's go. And we're having to do the entire 
episode in character being another character. Yeah, but that was actually kind of a brilliant move on everyone's part because after that, I really felt like I knew how to be him a lot better. Uh, that's cool. And I, I got to do something I hate, which was have Vastrano be a min-maxer rules lawyer. <laughs> I was like, what is this character going to think about a role-playing game? Well, A, he's not going to understand that there's no winners and losers. B, he's not going to understand that there's not a right way to do things. And I feel like I succeeded in being that player I, I don't want to deal with. <laughs> Thank you, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't believe that we somehow pulled that off. God, we had, we had Gribbit, the morally ambiguous warlord? Cannibal warlord. <laughs> yes, the morally ambiguous cannibal warlord. Uh, how how we came up with any of that stuff. That was good. Yeah. Good stuff. That was wonderfully mm. absurd. Bluebird Blaffa. <laughs> we will always have these memories, Ben. Yep. We will always have Bluebird Blaffa. And we can always go back and listen to those episodes on account of... It's just absolutely out there that I... I can't not listen to those and just fall down laughing. Like, they're... <laughs> One of the two things I've ever been a part of that I just adore and will go back and listen to. I have that about uh, Varun Afa and the Smugglers. Uh, the first time we, we did the Lorenzo Modi re Varun ah. trip, I, I, I routinely show that to people <laughs> who want to know how to play the FFG system. Okay. As just a. It is such a good little compact adventure that highlights so many parts of the rules. I've shown it to at least five friends at this point, and they're just like, all right, where's the six seasons in a movie for these characters? <laughs> they're great to have around. And when the return of those characters happen, it'll be another nice bit of madcapness. I, I, I love those characters a lot, but I definitely think that Lorenzo's a bit one note for me to want to play for a campaign. Definitely good for a little palate cleanser, but not someone I can handle playing all the time. Okay, so how do you approach finding a character that you can play for a long time? Because, like, Heroes... I almost want to ask how Heroes was sold to you at the time on account of the time commitment for these things is on the hero side is not tiny. It's not. Uh, well, I don't remember precisely what Christine said, but I think it was something pretty simple it was hey you like star wars we rp well together you have sundays free <laughs> what do you think friend i was a pretty quick sell honestly she sent me a link to the first episode of trouble brewing and said you know we'd love to all meet you what do you like go listen to this and tell me what you think and so really, it was all of you that, that sold me on it. Okay. I listened hmm. to that. I, I I have a weird memory thing where I can, if something is kind of meaningful to me, I'll remember precisely where I was when I listened to or saw a thing. And I remember that I was in my car outside of one of my part-time jobs at the time, and I had turned it on, and I was already at my job, but I didn't want to get out of the car because I wanted to keep listening. <laughs> So wow. I was just like, how many more minutes can I wait in this car before I really am going to be late for work? Uh, I got five more minutes. <laughs> I didn't ultimately, ultimately get to finish the episode before work, but right after. And then I got home and I messaged Christine and I was like, yeah, uh, yes, 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 I'm in. 
you've been a great addition since. Jumping into, I cannot call it anything but an advanced system. Like, I take a look at D&D, I take a look at Tales from the Loop, and many of the other systems that are all... Everything else is pass-fail. Like, uh, even if you get into, like, Forged in the Dark or Masks, where are they? Powered by the Apocalypse, that's it. Where you've got success, fail, or success with a cost. It's all just one axis of success or failure. Then there's FFG. Yeah, it's absolutely fair to call this an advanced system. I have, you know, kind of my learning style was not particularly conducive to this. I, I read the rule book and I page flagged as many things as I was fairly certain I was going to forget. That sounds like, I don't know, 100 flags? <laughs> no. That was a different person who flagged the Force and Destiny book with 100 flags. I I maybe have eight eight flags in my uh. copy of Edge of the Empire. But I ultimately am not going to internalize anything until I've seen it in action. With all the theoretical, this is how it works. Like, it didn't solidify until I actually, you know, experienced it. So people will probably be able to tell. You know, even in the later things, if I encountered a dice roll or something that I'd never encountered before, whoa, what do I do with that? Like, I don't remember what it was, but one of the more recent things I got was a some combination of despair and something else. And I was like, that's never happened to me before. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Those are always the hardest styles of dice rolls, especially when you've got like triumph and despair. It's like, I feel like it was advantage and despair or something like Ooh, that. And yeah. I was like, what does that even mean right now? <laughs> what do I yeah. do with that? And the whole advantage threat thing is so out there. Like, I love it. I love it to pieces. But it's so wacky when you take a look in any other role-playing system. I, it, I mean, it is. But I feel like it's nuanced in a, in a really good way. I don't think the fact that it took me so long to get it is any fault of the system in itself. I, that is absolutely a fault of, or not a fault. I, it is, it no. is a difference in how I internalize information. Yeah. Like there's no fault with this at all. No. Okay. I've been role-playing this since about a month after the beginner box came out on boxing day some year. I forget which year. I think mm. it was, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was playing the previous version with a bunch of my monthly group and said, I picked this up. I'm really excited about playing it. Can we just play through this? And the four of them said, sure. We played through it. I, the beginner boxes are, I cannot stress how good they are for running people and for teaching the system. And from that, it was, I shall not play Sega edition again. Yeah, there was a thing we did where we didn't record it, I don't think, but we we ran through Yeah. Maybe maybe it was after Act One, the Forced and Destiny uh starter box. Yes. I that think was that was that. when we did it. Yeah. And I remember my character sheet on that having a couple of little sort of guide boxes for how to calculate all your stuff, and I said, Oh my gosh, I wish I saw this before I started fighting as Vistrano. And I went and I completely redid all of my cheat sheets for how I calculated Vistrano's damage based on those things in the beginner box. 
And I think yeah. at that point, I, I had a, a slightly better handle on how to calculate my damage. And I had absolutely messed up so many things I realized going along the way. I just take a look at some of the frequently asked questions or the guidance that FFG has put out. And there's what I consider a house rule is just, it's a very generous reading of a particular rule, which apparently there's a rules clarification, I guess is what they would call it. My uh, minging crit house rule. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you crit a second time for a minging group, I'll allow you to take out a second, or usually a crit is like a third, initially a second minging going down, and then say you crit like four times, like Barrowin could have crit like four times on a minging group. <laughs> just keep spinning that tail around. Pretty much. My house rule says you could just wipe out an entire minging group doing that. Whereas the actual rules as written say, and with the rules clarification, say that no, you can only crit once on a minging group. Like it's technically you're just adding to the severity of the critical hit, which is the reason why. If you apply the mm. advantage again, you're increasing it by 10, like you're getting spending it to get vicious or something like that. Mm. Uh, I just go more cinematic. Yeah, I just like the moment I said spinning around, I just had this image in my head of if the Hydean heroes were a cartoon. That would be awesome. Barrowin would, you know, be, it would be like one of those looks like a, you know, top spinning situation. Mm-hmm. Pastrana would be punching things into the sky. Good stuff. We would make a great cartoon, actually. That would be a pretty awesome cartoon. We're, we're all ca colorful and slightly family-friendly. Well, you Let's could see. be family-friendly. I mean, there's Billy just looming. <laughs> That'll be... So in, in, the, in the intro song, the music will dip a little bit and you'll just see like heavily shadowed Billy looming in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Now this has turned into an anime. Yeah, yep. like uh, just sort of the anime like looming out at the viewer. It would be perfect. This is no longer the coming into the system tale. This is the designing Heidi and Heroes as an anime tale. Sorry, I don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the network will complain about the fact that Billy and Vistrano are the same color. And so then we'll have to turn Vistrano into, gosh, like a Twilight or something. And yeah, <laughs> so there will be some, some changes because, you know, you don't want to confuse the children and the toys need to be different colors. Ooh, that brings us back to Barrowin. Barrowin will have a little <laughs> button on her back and that's how you activate the tail whip action. Ah, uh, yes. Barrowin with real tail whip action. And, and Cobb is the toy that has all the attachments. You got, you know. K3, K3 that plugs into the arm and then all the little floating floating balls that have the little clear plastic thing to attach to different points on Cobb so that they're floating. I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking like the K-Swarm would be its own figure because the action figure group would be getting greedy. Yeah, you're right. Yep. It'll come packaged with like the mine layer or something. Ah, yes. And... That would be the only way you could actually get K1. Greedy, greedy toy makers. <laughs> the only way to get Vrebo is to get the entire like uh, kitchen set. 
Ah, uh, yes. Or the Sky on Fire playset. Yeah, I'm imagining that right now. I would I would own a Sky on Fire playset. Brandon would already have three. Oh, geez. Then I think back to Act 1, where the Sky on Fire crew bought the playset for my Thursday night group. Oh. At the Rodian. Like, so it just starts getting meta in so many funny ways. We've got to have a port that has the Biscuit Baron. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, what very ridiculous toy I still have? Toy as a child. Maybe you might not remember this, but Micro Machines for a while okay. had all these Star Wars figures that mm-hmm. are not figures, uh, sets that looked like different heads oh, of yes. characters that you open up the head and it turns it into yes. like a playset. So you have some of those were terrifying. Yeah. I, you know, you have Boba Fett's head and then you open it up and it's Cloud City. I, I have most of them still in a box. I'm actually planning on getting a shelf and putting them up in my streaming room. But I have the Death Star that opens up and the whole thing turns into Tatooine. It's great. It is just a marvel of childhood toy engineering. But I'm thinking about that very beginning of Trouble Brewing. We have something and it opens up and then you've got that. The room with the busted up droid in it and then the biscuit baron <laughs> over in one corner. And then, yeah, this 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 would... You've made so many good locations that need to be toys now. I definitely agree. The Nuno playset, like the entire setting with the Nuno and then up in the top somehow is a monkey. <laughs> oh, this poor cub. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to another thing. I never did figure out how to pronounce Cav correctly. I don't know why I started saying Cav with as if it was two hard A's. I, I don't know where that came from. I loved it. It's <laughs> sort of like the Han Han thing. <laughs> Just how Lando always has a different enunciation. Except the only the only way I can hear it in my head right now is when Chewie is choking him. Like all I hear is that version. <laughs> yeah. It was animated special because Baron was tail whipping house rules and minion groups. Okay. Yes. Jumping all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 10 minute blooper. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, it's tails. The thing that I'm really curious about is how did you become comfortable with using advantage and threat? Gosh, did I ever get comfortable with that? I got more comfortable asking for other people's advice on what they thought made sense. But I felt, gosh, this is a harder question than I thought it was going to be. The way that I ended up building Vistrano, I don't feel ended up lending itself particularly well to how I felt comfortable describing things. Mm. I started later on mixing things up and using my knife more because I felt more comfortable thinking of different things to do with a weapon than just my hands. And Vistrano was obviously way more proficient at using his hands, but I felt like describing just unarmed melee combat was a weakness of mine. You know, so I switched up actual, you know, stat effectiveness for what I thought was going to be more interesting to talk about. Ultimately. <laughs> oh, and that's absolutely fair. How many times can you really say, yes, I succeeded at punching something 
in an interesting way. I mean, sure, I'm sure other people who, I don't know, have a little bit more of a creative writing background than me maybe would have been able to make the punching more interesting. Or somebody who had ever, like, narrated a boxing match or something. <laughs> Which I, I, I have not done. Even boxing, like, it's an interesting sport to watch, but it's not really easy to describe. So, yeah, so I, d I definitely think the answer to that is just that I decided to do a lot more than just punch things. Because I, I feel like when I go back and listen to the to the episodes that I do feel comfortable listening to, which is a whole other thing in itself, name change wise, mm. I do sound to me more comfortable when I'm describing advantage or disadvantage in social situations or situations where I'm not punching a thing. That makes absolute sense. <laughs> There's just so many more options to it. Like punching, yeah, it is kind of one note unless you start getting into like okay well what shape is like okay i'm knife handing someone or knife chopping someone versus punching versus i don't know poking them in the eyes like what what really is there for getting in close yeah At especially in especially when i when i when i fail so yeah. oh what did i do oh like you know there was one time where i hit armor instead and banged up my knuckles that that was cool. That made sense. Uh, I think Vistrano maybe slipped about three times in the course of, of everything. <laughs> and, you know, lots of other types of failure, which I had a hard time articulating. <laughs> to be fair, a lot of the slipping was because you failed with threat. And other than setting things on fire, apparently I really like making my heroes slip. Well, you know, it was, you know, because of the system that it is. We sort of both decide that slipping is a thing. Good point, good point. And there was the diner, where there already was a lot of food on the floor. And then the foam. Right, the foam. I love that oh, diner gosh. scene. It is so absurd. We do do a lot of things that lend itself very well to cartoons. Yeah. I wish I could draw. I would make this into a, a comic book or something. I, this, this, we told a good story. I really think so. I know so, like, <laughs> because now I'm also sort of thinking back to uh, series one and the Age of Rebellion stuff, and that was also two really stellar stories with some stuff that's like, yeah, I could almost see that being like a Clone Wars type computer animated thing or Ooh. painterly animated thing. And then, yeah, series two, a lot more anime, <laughs> a lot more larger than life in how it's acting. So now we need to decide what sort of tropey thing <laughs> series three is going to be. That is going to be an interesting thing to discover. Can't say anything, but yep, I've, I've got thoughts. <laughs> I mentioned that Vistrano log, which when I sort of am feeling particularly nostalgic about the fact that we're on a, we're on a break right now from recording. It's been what? Oh gosh, like a month, month and Something change. Something like that. Yeah. It's and we still have about another month long. to go before we start again. Pretty so much. Going back to those files and kind of cleaning them up, and I fixed the font so it looked like a computer, and uh, revisiting it that way to kind of closure it all off, I guess. Yeah, this whole being in between seasons, especially with the amount of time we've had, is different. Very different. I've definitely, and I, and I shared this with the heroes in you know our sort of backstage chat, but I did a lot of thinking after we were done about ways to improve how 
it all goes. So probably more page flag. <laughs> but what else did I say I was going to do? I was going to have uh, counters on my desk for whether or not we had light side and dark side points because I, I never had a good visual on that, whether or not I could use them. Yeah, doing that remote is... Like, since we use Discord, it's, like, sure, there's a command to bring it up, but it really would have been nice to have, like, just a ongoing piece in Discord where it's like, okay, this visually is how much we've got. My particular flavors of ADD, too, like, I need I need them to be in front of me. I have um, still in front of me, taped to the very front of my computer, the symbols and a dice guide that I printed off of one of the character sheets and the, uh, you know, how many, how many dice, easy, average, hard, etc. is just taped right to the front of the computer. <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly good idea. I mean, I'd probably do something similar if I didn't have a GM screen always sitting by within arm's reach. My my desk is too small for so many things like that. Although yeah. I did just get a new desk today to give myself way more space <laughs> for when we start back up again. Fair enough. By the time we come back, I'm going to be a well-oiled machine. I'm going to be a pro at this. Just took me a year and a half. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and then we've got Heroes Series 3 to look forward to, which is going to be its own... Who knows what sort of animal it's going to be? Like, definitely, it's... definitely an animal of some right <clears throat> cough cough ah uh, yes on the other hand i'm also thinking of the animals i'm going to have because it doesn't seem to be an ffg module without some weird animal encounter i accept this but i definitely also am coming into this next character thinking a lot more about what i think i can effectively describe in the uh, skills and things that i have chosen it's probably a tale for another day, but... Just sort of as a... If you're able to sort of sum up a few of the things of... Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew at the start coming onto Heroes about the system? I suppose, even though I had listened to a couple of episodes of you all, I didn't know how edited it was. So mm. I assumed that maybe there was some stuff that had got edited out. And I, I suppose I knew, I wish I had known precisely how much agency I was going to have because I was not expecting as much agency as I had. And I definitely think that feels pretty reflective in how sort of wishy-washy and non-committal I was in the first couple of episodes because coming from a more traditional tabletop RPG background, didn't realize... I was allowed to make parts of things up myself. Yeah, does that make any any sense? You know, coming from a, a situation where the DM has complete control over everything that happens in this world, success or failure, it's all in their hands. You know, you just roll the die and then you hold up your hands and you wait for them to say what happens to you. And I guess I didn't internalize that from reading the rulebook. <laughs> what you're describing, especially the freedom, I guess you could call it freedom, the chaos also of the dice, like so much of my hands-offness is because 
there's no way to predict the dice. At least with a success-failure, whichever version you're going with, there's two or maybe three examples. Or four, if you really want to go, like, five. You've got critical success, critical failure, success, failure, or success with a cost. Whereas with the FFG system, you've got, okay, I can succeed, I've got a pile of threat, and I've also got a triumph and a despair, all on the same roll. How do you plan for that? <laughs> which which I think is totally great. It's, I feel like if I could try to sort of like metaphor the whole situation out, or, or simile, maybe, I don't know, not an English major... It'd be like somebody who was rather sheltered as a kid who had like a bedtime and strict curfews and everything suddenly finding themselves in the dorms in undergrad. Like, wait, I don't have a bedtime anymore. I don't have anyone telling me what I'm supposed to do. I can do literally whatever I want with my time right now. What am I going to do? Exactly. And it's good. Having that freedom is great. But sometimes when you've been so restricted... It takes a little while to figure out all of this choice. (laughs) Totally not speaking from experience of my very sheltered upbringing and my first couple weeks of undergrad. 100% not. (laughs) Absolutely. No, no, of course not. Cough, cough again. (laughs) Realizing the amount of agency that you've got, like having looked to see what meta is there otherwise, that player agency and like role agency is entirely mechanical built in. It's like one of the few times where someone has built into a system chaos and it's not just been limited chaos. It's like total chaos. Which I very much appreciate. So if you had any advice on how to deal with that level of chaos, yeah, it's kind of like when you jump into it, it's somewhat like running around at university with almost no supervision and like, okay, I'm going to class today. Okay, I'm just going to be sitting around in this room supposedly researching a paper. Totally not playing Baldur's Gate. Exactly, or like watching Monty Python. Okay, so we've got this mechanical chaos. Is there any piece or pieces of advice for people who are just coming to the system for things to look out for, things to help you on your way? Well, I would honestly say in some ways that I did myself a little bit of a favor by making a character that was inherently nervous and reserved because as I was also inherently nervous and reserved, in some cases it probably seemed like that was a role-play decision. (laughs) So if I, I feel like if you are like me and you're a little bit intimidated, you know, you can kind of roll in with that and it, you know, it was helpful. But I guess I would say that ultimately when I really kind of let go and played Lorenzo and just leaned into just being a little tiny chaos Muppet, I really had a great time. <laughs> so I guess, gosh, well, how would I turn that into actual advice? Do some introspection, figure out where you're comfortable. If you're comfortable sort of being out there, then lean into that and be 
sort of build yourself in, a, in an out there kind of way. And if you are hesitant of the system, then allow yourself to make a hesitant character so that you can kind of lean into both ways. Or if you're in the middle, middle somewhere, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to not extreme. I don't know how to not Lorenzo or Vastrano. So I guess we'll see if with character number three forthcoming. <laughs> I'm still learning, I guess is the point. And think about what's going to make you comfortable and try not to be afraid to take a scene and make it, yes. make it about you for five minutes. Five minutes, half an episode. I was very That's... scared to take any limelight, especially when the cold shoulder stuff came out. I was like, I, this feels like this entire, like, and, and Ben knows this a after the episode was over. I apologized to everyone. I was like, I feel like this whole episode is about me and I feel so badly about it. I'm really sorry, everyone. Everyone was like, you remember that other episode that was totally about me, right? I was like, yeah, but it was about you, not me. <laughs> Let yourself take scenes, I guess, is probably where all that boils down to. Don't be scared to let yourself take scenes. Huh. I was not expecting Thakba to still be punishing competition in gladiatorial pits. Maybe I can find that Nuno that Christine has to fight here. I know. It, it was rather disagreeable in there. And wait, why do I feel compelled to speak in a vaguely British accent after leaving that place? I know this just hurts the Force Mature folks' ears. Join us next time on a characteristic tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. And you can find me on Twitter in two different places. I'm at Atomic Firebird or Make underscore Believe underscore RP. And if you want to hear me talk about Star Trek Enterprise, uh, along with Brandon and Risa, uh, you can find us at Ink Club Podcast on Twitter. And uh, we are also at theheidianway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to the things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Heidian Way, which is where I usually am. Over in that corner. Over there. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us up at reading, reviewing, and subscribing. You can drop a holocom to us at tales at theheidianway.com. And we're also on Facebook as Tales from the Heidian Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash Way, Or you can give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash Way. It wouldn't be one of these if I didn't say DDD at the end, so DDD.